It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. ESPN's Rachel Nichols of The Jump joins the podcast today, talking women in sports, working with Paul Pierce and Kendrick Perkins, and Jason Tatum's rise to stardom. It's the Friday Locked On Celtics. Millies, let's go. Rainy days back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This is the truth like 34. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, it's the best way. Melly. Happy Friday, everybody. The Boston Celtics off on Thursday and practicing on Friday ahead of their Saturday game against the Houston Rockets. So I had an opportunity. I'm John Corrales of MassLive.com, by the way. I had the opportunity to talk to ESPN's Rachel Nichols. She will be in Boston this Saturday hosting the jump on ABC courtside at TD Garden. Paul Pierce is going to be there. Tracy McGrady is going to be there. And they'll be doing the jump at the Garden leading into the Celtics-Rockets game. So I had an opportunity to talk to her, have a nice extended conversation here with Rachel Nichols. So check it out. Rachel Nichols of ESPN joining the podcast. This is a big day for us, Rachel. This is huge. Oh, I'm an, I'm an old old friend. Do I get to be an old friend if this is my second time or no? I'm uh, yes. going to be on like 18 times and have been born no. in Waltham or something, right? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I'll I'll take old friend. It's, it's okay. like when it, like uh, when somebody leaves a team and yeah. they you face them, they always say, "Oh, old friends." Right, Terry Rozier <laughs> facing the Celtics today. Boom. Boom. So. But unlike Terry Rozier, I did not blow anything up on my way out. So oh, I got see? that going for me. That's true. That's true. Um, although I don't know what you might have said about me behind my back. But uh, no, nah. we'll leave it up. We'll leave that. I'll, I'll ask Zach. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to do this in like three stages because mm-hmm. I want to make sure the listeners, all of the new listeners in the Lockdown Celtics podcast gets to know you a little bit. We'll talk about sure. the show and then we'll talk about the game. I do want to remind all of the people who are listening that uh, Rachel's going to be in Boston for the Saturday game against the Rockets for an on-site version of the jump. And that that's exciting. You're, so you're going to be yes. sitting courtside. Let, who's going to be with you? Do you know yet? I know Paul Pierce is going to be with us because Ooh. basically as soon as I saw the schedule, I said, and we're bringing Paul. So yeah. he will definitely be there. Absolutely. Tracy McGrady is going to be there because, I mean, it's a Rockets game. Yeah, right? I figured also, that. Was, so we got to okay. bring our, our resident Celtic and our resident Rocket. And then we'll sure. see, have a couple other names who are going to pop by, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on those. You're going to have to All watch right. and find out. Okay. Okay. That's good enough. Um, all right. So let's talk about you a little bit. You are a uh, Northwestern grad. Uh, grad uh, Which, by the way, because I grew up in, in in the Northeast, I spent my entire four years of college having to tell people, no, Northwestern, that's in Chicago, yeah. because everyone right, right. assumed I went to Northeastern. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's no Emerson College, but it's a pretty good school. Yeah, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. In the journalism, so... Yeah, it's, it's terrible right. in the football, but good in the journalism. <laughs> yeah, you at least you have a football program. Emerson does not have a football program. <laughs> um, the great there's a great Emerson shirt that go that that's around. that says Emerson football, like undefeated since like 1830. Since we've I like that, yeah, that's it's pretty a good great. Shirt. <laughs> good shirt. Uh, so 
let's start with this. What got you into sports journalism? It seemed really fun and much better than having a real job. Uh, I knew I could write, but not play baseball or basketball. So I said, all right, then clearly <laughs> this is going to be my thing. Um, I am dirt. My, my dirty little secret that only some viewers know is I'm only five foot four. So, and that is by the way, after a growth spurt that I had when I was in college. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So even though I loved basketball, loved football, um, loved baseball as a kid, uh, I just, you know, was a very undersized athlete. Uh, but I love being around it. I love being around sports, love being around the idea of the game. Um, and I really did like writing. And I started out as a newspaper writer. And the stories were just so good. I mean, obviously, there's always good stories in sports, but even just a regular arc of a game, right? Like, mm-hmm. I always said, I mean, this, is, this has become an old analogy. Um, maybe your listeners who are, I, I don't know, John, I don't want to ask you two personal questions. How old are you? I'm going to ask anyway. Did you see how I did that? I was like, I don't want to ask you, but here I'm asking. Ask how old are you? Area. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be 47 in a few months. So. All right. So you can catch my reference. I just wanted to make sure that I was talking to someone who catch my reference. The people under 30, I have to make like a whole different Spider-Man type reference. But for you and me, I can say this. There were all those movies of like Will Smith against the aliens, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. And when you had those movies... You kind of knew, okay, I'm, I'm excited to go see Independence Day. I'm excited to go see Men in Black. But, like, I know that in the end, Will Smith is beating the aliens, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like right. I don't know who's winning who's winning in that movie. But when you get to, a, like, a big-time sporting event, it's like one of those blockbuster movies all the time, except you don't know who's going to win. And just the idea of that was always so fun to me and fun as a writer, that you'd have the hero and the villain and the beginning and the middle and the end, but the, the end was a mystery, um, so it always just seemed kind of fascinating to me. My friends who were going into things in jobs where they'd have to work in an office seemed less fascinating. <laughs> oh, it's the and worst. Um, and uh, that's what I wanted to do and, and wrote for newspapers for the first 10 years of my career. And then newspapers had a bit of uh, um, not so much on the economic issues. So uh, it seemed smarter to be transitioning into TV. And I've been doing that ever since. So when I was a kid, I did, I wanted nothing to do with sports until my mom dragged me to a like youth baseball thing. And then I realized like, oh, oh, this can be fun. It's uh, pretty good. <laughs> do, do you do you have a moment there where you realize like, oh, sports, awesome. I don't, you know, it's funny, everyone's first question is, oh, do you have brothers? And I do actually have two brothers, but it's funny, my older brother doesn't like sports at all. Um, my younger brother does but it's because of me. So um, I I just always liked it. Um, The NFL team, I grew up outside of Washington, DC. They won three Super Bowls uh, in between the ages of when I was like six and 22 or something like that. So, you know, the enthusiasm for the Patriots around there, like when when the most popular team in the city is winning the championship three separate times. And we had Joe Gibbs, we had all, you know, this sort of legendary, Mm -hmm. the hogs and, and all of that. Like, like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to get caught up in that as a kid. I mean, all the, all the bright colors and the shiny objects and the guys hitting each other really hard was awesome. And um, (laughs) I just loved it. And I was like, Oh, okay. And, And then started checking out other sports and other teams too, is when I was pretty little. And, Love them all. So I, I had a little T-shirt that said bullets across it um, that I think uh, I still have I somewhere that. that is now a collector's item since that team doesn't exist in the same way anymore. Um, but I was into all of it. I miss the Washington bullets. Yeah, right. You know, they don't play in the know. same. It's funny. They don't even play in the same state anymore. People ask me, like, oh, are you a Wizards fan? And I would say, look, I mean, I'd like the Wizards to do well. I'd like most of the NBA team. You know, there's no team in the league, especially now that I do this for a job. Like, it's good for the league and good for us when teams are exciting. So, um, yes, I want them to do well. Like, I want everyone to do well. I don't feel the same attachment, though, because the team I rooted for as a kid 
literally had a different name. It had a different mascot. And yeah. it played in a different state, right? Yeah. The arena was in Maryland, which is where I grew up. And now they play in downtown D.C., which is obviously not far away. But it's, it is harder to connect the dots to my childhood, sure. to who they are now, which is fine. It just makes me very impartial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, I met Wes Unseld when I was in college. Uh, and the thing that stuck That's out to coolest, me was like, right? he's the coolest guy. He was the coolest guy. And I was like, first of all, just a giant human. Like I would never mm-hmm. want to get hit by Wes yes. Unseld. And he had like the biggest head I've ever seen on a person. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, man, if this yep. guy ever headbutted me, I'd be, I'd be dead. Like he'd headbutt me into oblivion. Uh, <laughs> I, miss, well, I miss those old days. Yeah. Look, all those outlet passes that you see guys doing now, right. Are because yeah. of Wes Unseld. Yeah. So, yep. you know, he was, he's a legend, underrated, underrated legend in NBA yeah. history. Uh, and that's, so, but by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little piece of Wes Unseld trivia and then we can move on to ooh, something much more, much more enticing for your listeners. Uh, Kevin Love, who is mm-hmm. a big guy on those outlet passes as well. Right. Remember you used to always do the like football pass to LeBron who sure, would finish yeah. it off in their Cavaliers days. Um, his middle name is Wes after Wes Unseld. No, I never knew that. There you that's go. Trivia. Go ahead. There you go. Keep going. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you want a bunch of useless basketball facts? Come to me, my friend. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I love it. Uh, all right. So let's get let's get back to some Rachel Nichols trivia. So mm-hmm. you are um, so now you are one of the more front and center, most front and center uh, women in sports broadcasting. Um, well, there's a lot of us, but I appreciate being included there for sure. Y- yes, and and you're you've taken on. And a lot of a lot of the women today, now that we're in 2020, have taken on roles that I would say weren't available maybe Absolutely. 10 years ago or, yep, or more, sure. yeah. um, or less. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, for uh, l- let me let me reframe this with uh, recent events: um, mm-hmm. the Kobe and Gigi memorial. One thing that mm-hmm. stood out to me was. Uh, Diana Tarazi's comments about Gigi and how she, she she was kind of like indicative of the future of women's basketball because she has now this this league, the WNBA, to kind of look up to, and and these young girls, these teenage girls, are as they're being shaped, their futures mm-hmm. are being shaped. They have somebody representative of themselves to mm-hmm. look at. Yep. You you are now one of those people who's representative of these young girls who want to get into sports broadcasting. I mean, how, how do you feel about being in that, in that particular group doing what you do? I've, yeah. I mean, I think that stuff's so important. Right. And I had it too, by the way, um, you know, when I was growing up in the Washington DC area, the first woman to cover an NFL team as a beat was Christine Brennan, who wrote for the Washington post now mm-hmm. right for USA today. And yep. so for me, um, I grew up reading the Washington post and reading Christine Brennan's byline on the NFL And it never occurred to me that that was a job, that doing important sports writing was a job that was close to women. If I had grown up anywhere else in the country at that time, I would have seen only men in those slots. But because that's where I happened to grow up, for me, by the time I got old enough and was starting to apply for internships or kind of got into the business and then it was clear like, hey, being a woman in this is a little bit of a barrier to entry and you're going to have to get over some more extra hurdles, it was too late, right? I was already mm-hmm. coming. It was too late for them to keep me out. I had already <laughs> decided this is what I wanted to do. I had started getting practice at like my school newspaper. I had sort of, you know, started to sort of set the path. So by the time someone told me, oh, no, 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 this isn't for you. You can't do this. And by the way, people did back then. I already mm-hmm. had in my head, well, Christine did it. So I can do it. 
I, I'm, this, I'm good. Don't worry. I'm good. We're going to do this. And I do think that kind of stuff is so, so important. It's important for women. It's important for, I mean, it's important all the way across the board. I covered Mark Sanchez when he became the first Mexican-American starting quarterback in the NFL when he started for the Jets. And mm-hmm. regardless of how that ended up going, the fact that for the all-American position, right, starting quarterback for the NFL yep. team in New York, um, you know, that's Joe Namath's position, that kind of thing that it was someone who looked different and had Sanchez on the back of his uniform. I heard from so many kids saying, wow, now I think maybe that could be me. And and I just think we underestimate how big a deal that is. It really made a difference for me. So if me being around doing this stuff makes a difference for anyone else, that's awesome. I'm I'm psyched about that. Yeah. Look, representation really matters. And uh, I think it's important that you are a studio host. You're, You're in there with the guys on the desk. Um, and I think there, there was a stretch there where, you know, your path had to be sideline reporter. And yeah. if you were a woman in sports, you were just a sideline reporter, literally yeah. and figuratively on the sidelines. And yeah. now for you to be a host, uh, can you just speak to the importance of you being on that desk with quote unquote, the boys that are talking sports and, and kind of showing everybody like, yeah, this is fine. I mean, a couple steps kind of in that evolution. You're you're absolutely right. First of all, there were no women allowed doing sports broadcasting at all, right? Then it was, you know, it was like, oh, that's silly. Then you had women sort of being put into sideline roles. And by the way, you know, you had Phyllis George popping in there. You had you had other other people popping in there. But, you know, she was a former Miss America. I mean, it was sort of like, oh, here's set decoration or here's here's someone to be cute on the sidelines or that kind of thing. And by the way, sideline reporters are really hard job. It is. Um, it, it's one of the toughest jobs on the broadcast. So it didn't, it was never lost on me. And I did that job and it was never lost on me watching or doing it. That of course they were sort of saying, well, the girl can do that. And then what they were giving us was the heart, one of the hardest jobs on the podcast because of <laughs> right. the, the rhythm of when you pop in or when you pop out or dealing with the athletes or conditions on the ground and the freezing cold or anything else you're doing. Um, then there were sort of more women who were at the desk, but it was a very Vanna White kind of experience. It was sort of, um, you know, here, let me just let, let me just sort of be the hostess and set up the pins for the guys to knock them down. And also, um, you know, it was a lot of, well, what do you think? It was it was just basically, whether it's a sideline reporter or a host, it was a woman, if she was allowed on the broadcast, it was asking men what they think. And it was important to me when we started The Jump and, and another stuff I've been involved in. I uh, hosted a show called Unguarded when I was at CNN prior um, in my little window when I wasn't at ESPN mm-hmm. um, uh, to make sure that that wasn't what I was doing. Because frankly, at this point, I have covered sports for 25 years. I am certainly not as as nuanced as someone who played. You know, we had Scottie Pippen and Tracy McGrady on our show. They know basketball better than me. But I know basketball as well as are my male reporter colleagues who have covered the game this long. And I was, you know, some, in some cases, been doing it more than they have. So I didn't want, just because I was a woman, to be asking them what they thought when I had plenty of experience to draw on as well. And I was really fortunate that the executives at ESPN saw it that way also. Um, it was a big deal and not something that they necessarily, you know, had to do. And it was from the very beginning premise of the show that was part of it. And I'm really grateful that that was never a fight or anything. It was baked into the show that I would also sort of, as you say, be part of the conversation, not just setting up the conversation. Um, It means a tremendous amount to me that they wanted that and that we've been able to carry that out over the four years. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. 
From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's use this to transition into the jump mm-hmm. itself, which uh, has been, you said, four years. Yeah. Um, and it's it's grown a lot. Um, you, can you, wh- where do you see the show now as as opposed to where you started? What are the lessons that you've learned and, and and you know, where where do you feel it, it, it's it's gone? Well, it's funny, we, we had, so it was actually, we debuted after an All-Star game. So it was right after All-Star weekend. So every time there's All-Star weekend, I think, oh, here we go. Our anniversary's coming up. This time it was four years. And I said something to some people last year. I'm like, oh, we're going to be, you know, four years this week. And every single person said to me, oh, is that it? I feel like it's been on longer. Yes, And that made me true. feel really good. And that made me feel like, oh, we feel like the show that's kind of, you know, we don't feel like new to the conversation. We feel like just such an established part of the conversation. You think it's been going on longer. That's cool. That feels really good. And I'm grateful for that. Um, in terms of what I've learned so much, so, so, so much, (laughs) 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 you know, I mean, look every day and, and we, it's a loose show. And I think that's good because we screw up. We fix it on the air. If there's something goes wrong or we read something wrong or something, you know, we, uh, we do a trade deadline show where we have a trade crank where I sort of make oh, a bunch yeah. of broken noise. And the crank broke on the show uh, in the that. middle of a one and a half. I mean, it was, it was a three hour show, one and a half hour mark. It just like, completely died. And instead of it being a disaster, it was, hey, this went wrong. Let's like open, you know, you knock down the fourth wall and share it and and make a joke out of it and, and you know, try to throw things at people instead and, and do whatever, um, which I think has been a real, again, baked in part of the show from the beginning and has allowed us to learn in front of everyone um, and have it be casual. You know, you're sitting around having arguments and conversations with your friends. Sometimes, sometimes you know, someone goes a little too far, right? Goes off in a direction where they're like, man, Jason Tatum's playing so well, he should be in the Hall of Fame right now. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm, but maybe dial it back a minute. And we let all of that show on the show. And I, I think 
I think that's good. And I think that's one of the things we've been able to do along the way that feels organic and natural to me. Um, you know, we're not perfect and we don't present ourselves as like super polished. I always say it's not a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, my original pitch for the show was, hey, it should just feel like you're sitting around talking to your friends. But what mm-hmm. if one of your friends was Tracy McGrady? And right. that is hopefully what we have done for four years. I, I would say that that's how it comes off. Now, I spent about 20 years in television as a, as a producer. Um, and so I can only imagine what your producer is going through at some point. So I want to ask it this way. Uh, what has been the thing, maybe the biggest thing, or if, if you can remember a couple of things or whatever that your producer has gotten into your IFB and said, did he just say that? (laughs) I'm not sure there's much, fortunately, like we haven't had anything that, you know, required, you know, an emergency situation or cleaning up something that could get us sued or anything like that. I think most of the stuff has has just been kind of fun. Um, You know, we've had some uh, timing with some stuff that has been very hard. Um, You know, I came over, as I said, I worked for ESPN uh, for nine years. And then I ended up going over to Turner CNN and worked at TNT for three years uh, while also working at CNN. And I went to Northwestern, as we talked about. So Craig Sager had always been a mentor of mine in general because he went to Northwestern and was a great guy and actually bothered to take interest in some of those younger types and just a good human. And then I went to work with him directly at TNT. And that, um, you know, was was obviously worked super closely with him because we were sideline reporters together. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away and the news came, I would say, two minutes before our show went on the air that day. So I was sitting there on the, you know, set basically. And they were like, Hey, Rach, you know, and they knew, you know, I had done a bunch of stuff with his family in the previous year or two, helping to raise money for bone marrow transplants and things like that. Not for him, but for, you know, he's just such a great guy at bringing awareness to all this different stuff. Um, And, you know, they knew, they knew that this was something that while we all knew to a degree, it was coming, um, having come then and that time, um, that's the thing in my ear that I kind of remember that um, mm-hmm. was just sort of the the most sort of set me back the most. And we did the show about him and, um, you know, all completely just off the cuff. And, uh, you know, hopefully we did a good enough job to honor him because he was the best, just the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's just I, I can't imagine getting that news in your ear uh, two minutes before. Uh, like I said, I've had a ton of experience with with all of these kinds of things and, you know, getting into an anchor's ear and saying, Hey, everything that we've worked all day on, we're going to blow it up. We're going to blow that out. Now that happens, you know, we get breaking news on the show all the time, but again, the format of the show, I think is pretty good for that. Um, in that, you know, it is loose. We're not tied to, we have to do these eight subjects. And if a conversation that even isn't news just runs long, we let it. Um, and maybe we have to say, and I really, again, give our producers credit because, it's not easy to have something you've been cutting highlights all morning or doing something for a segment and came up with a good segment. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, they talked too long about this instead. So we're going to blow that one out or we'll have to push it till tomorrow, or maybe it won't be relevant tomorrow. Um, But our producers are really great at not just rolling with it, but actually caring that the show is better. Um, You know, I've been in situations where people are like, well, but I did this. So we have to use it as opposed to, um, where it's sort of just like, hey, this is a great conversation. I don't want to end it either. And we'll, we'll just put the other thing on hold. And that's real credit to them. Uh, yeah, I want to shout out the producers, man, because... Uh, there you go. I, I, <laughs> I, just, just me being a former producer, you know, always, always people behind the scenes that help make it go. Uh, so shout out to all of them.
Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all of the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On Celtics is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Celtics fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Celtics fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here in this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. So text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you and your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We'll look forward to hearing from you. And now here's more with me and Rachel Nichols. Celtics fans, obviously the Celtics podcast, they want to know what it's like to work with Paul Pierce and Kendrick Perkins in this uh, capacity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect so, Big Perk to be this kind of like, let, I mean, can I call him a hot take artist? He, I mean, you know, but he, I mean, I think sometimes the hot take artist a label is for people who are just doing it for, for the TV, doing it for TV, doing it for the right. gram. Like he absolutely believes everything he says. And the best. again, to his credit, you have seen him go on Twitter multiple times and be like, man, I got to say I was totally wrong about X. He can cook or like, you know, whatever it yep. is. And I love that about Perk too. And, you know, I was a sports center reporter covering the NBA in 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, I, I did it prior to that also, but just I'm, I'm bringing up your Celtics years. And, um, you know, was assigned to that team through the playoffs, especially in two, 2008 and 2010. So I really got to know those guys super well. And Perk was one of the players who, even though he wasn't Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, or Paul Pierce, he was a, a key contributor to the team, but also just a great quote. So I ended up putting Perk on TV quite a bit in that context. So I always knew how good he was. Um, and then when the opportunity came to put him on the show, we were like, absolutely do it. Uh, and he's been phenomenal with Paul Pierce. Um, it's a little bit more serious than that. Even I'm going to say it was just admiration. Some people might call it stalking. We'll find out. Um, but in the, <laughs> in the final month or two of his, um, playing career, he was of course playing here in LA for the Clippers, which is where the show was based. And I just knew he'd be great on TV. I mean, you just, you just know about Paul, right? I mean, yeah. he'd be great on TV. And I just, I really think the credibility he has with being a finals MVP, an NBA champion and someone who's, I don't know, are we allowed to curse on this podcast? I have, I'm, I've been editing myself abs- like two no. or three times so far, but I'm not no, going to do it No, let it, it fly. Time. Let it fly. Okay. So how I always say this off camera is his number is up in Boston fucking garden. Like, I mean, come on. Like if you were looking for who do you want elite on your show to me, having your number retired there yeah. is it, it just means a lot. You guys are spoiled. You live there. So, but trust me, I go to arenas all over the country and the only banner they have up is like, Hey, the rodeo was here. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you go to Boston and the history there, they don't just let any, they don't just raise any one's number up there um i mean they're running out of numbers anyway but yes um that <laughs> that uh 
to me, the credibility he would bring, the personality he would bring were so big that, no, I mean, look, I am exaggerating, but I would say at least a half dozen times over his last two months of playing, when I was in the building anyway, I would show up and sort of be like, hey, Paul, ready to come work for us? Ready to come work for us? And then his final night, um, I, I was there, it was his final night playing. He gave a little sort of locker room press conference thing. And uh, someone said, Paul, do you know what you're going to do next in retirement? And he literally said, well, you should ask Rachel. She seems to have an opinion because <laughs> I had said this to him so often. And in fact, he came to work with uh, work for us just within the next couple of months. I just, I, I thought um, he'd be a great asset to us and he has been. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, I've always said that Kendrick Perkins is if if I can get somebody to voice my GPS, yes, I would love to have De- Kendrick Perkins. Man, his, we have a bunch his, of those guys on our show. Kendrick Perkins has a great voice. Scotty Pippen has a great voice, right? So we've we've got the all star, the GPS all star. Scotty Pippen, Scotty Pippen can take over for like Morgan Freeman, when, right? When it comes time for like voiceover work, yep. Um, so all right, so let's talk about this because you're going to bring Paul Pierce. We yep. just uh, waxed poetic about Paul Pierce. Exactly. Paul Pierce going to be in the house on Saturday, so that's good. people are going to be happy to see you and see the jump at the Garden. I know it's all anyway. about Paul. I get it, but I Paul it. is going to have like so. You guys just did a segment, you and T Mac and Zach on Jason Tatum, and yes. people have compared Jason Tatum to Hey, could he be Paul Pierce someday? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know the mid-range game, it's the step back. Like so, uh, why don't you share a little bit of like what you guys talked about on the show when it comes to Jason Tatum? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we talked about him again today, of course. Uh, I don't know when your listeners are listening to this, but we're recording this on Thursday, so it was after that great performance he had against Utah. Um, you know. It's cool to see someone developing like this in real time. And we obviously, look, Jason Tate has been good since he was drafted. He had that great rookie year, exceptional moments in the playoffs, his rookie season, very easily could have gone to the finals. And and what he did even in that seven-game series against the Cavaliers and and plays on LeBron were so impressive. Um, But we are seeing him now you know, nudge out from star to superstar and getting to watch it during the season is so rare. And that's one of the things we've been talking about on the show is that a lot of times guys will really develop big leaps in their game in the summer. They have time to work on specific shots, right? I've added the step back. I've added this. I've done that. And just the conditioning and other things they're able to work on when they're not also playing games. It is less usual. It happens, but it's not as usual to watch a guy have a rocket boost in the middle of a season. And getting to do that as basketball fans is awesome because we don't get to see the summer stuff in the same way. And we're getting to watch it here with Tatum. And just all the different parts he has elevated and added to his game have been so great. And it's not just on the offensive end, by the way. It's on the defensive end, too. And you're really going to be able to compare him to some of the top wing players in the league. And I just think it's, it's been tremendous fun. And it also changes sort of what we're talking about with the Celtics because we've been talking about them as contenders in the East, as a challenger to the Bucks. Um, you will, though, need a real superstar on a team to win the finals, right? You need someone who is of that level. And he is developing into that kind of player who could be the star guy on a finals-winning championship team. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but you need one of those guys. And the fact that you're getting one and it's happening before our eyes, I'm excited yeah. to see if he completes the transition and really gets there. That would be awesome. It's kind of wild to see it. I mean, just even from a Boston perspective, looking at this is kind of like the best case scenario. In fact, sure. I would say that this season for the Celtics has been 
kind of the best case scenario. They're winning almost 71% of their games. If they finish out at that same clip, they could be a 58-59 win team Yeah. after after losing Kyrie, after losing Horford, after losing Baines, and all these question marks coming in. Uh, what have you seen from the Celtics this year that, aside from Tatum's ascension, that that kind of pushes them up to this level that, that frankly, nobody expected? I mean, look, you know, the fact that Danny Ainge who is a master Jedi basically at this point in the front office was able to absorb losing a player like Kyrie Irving. And I know everybody has different feelings about him in Boston <laughs> after the last couple of years, but you can't deny what he does on a basketball court. Right. Sure. And, and he is, he is up there. He hit one of the biggest shots in NBA finals history. Um, he can go out and get you 50. He can do that kind of stuff. And whether it was good ultimately for the Celtics or not, that he moved on. And there's certainly people who would argue they were better off without him or have been better off without him. Losing that level of talent is something that we have seen organizations really have a hard time recovering from, right? We talked about like, oh, what happened with Oklahoma City when Kevin Durant, quote, left for nothing, right? Or we've seen other teams where free agents have, quote, left for nothing. And the fact that Danny was able to just scoop in, scoop up and sub in Kemba Walker, who is a different player than Kyrie, but certainly a lot of the numbers he's providing are similar, who has been such a great locker room presence. I sat down and interviewed Kemba last week, and I said to him, I said, was it, you know, what did you think trying to go into this situation where everyone has acknowledged it was volatile, right? Chemistry was bad. And you were going in, replacing the guy. It was a direct one-to-one. You are replacing the guy who, at least when he was traded here, was supposed to be their, like, franchise player for the next however many years. And... He just said, he said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fun guy, which, of course, I teased him. I'm like, yeah, you and Kawhi Leonard, fun guys. Um, but he's like, yeah, I'm a fun guy. People like being around me. And, and it was sweet and self-deprecating in that way Kemba has. But he's right. And the balance and feel around the team has been so good. Um, the chemistry around the team has been so good. Um, I think if there was any resentment, you know, little things about Gordon coming in and the role he was given after he got hurt and all of that, that's all faded away. Everybody feels that everybody else has their best intentions going on. Um, I think Brad learned from last year, too. Uh, I think Marcus is just such an important part of that team and a heartbeat guy. Um, I just think all of that comes into play. And also, the Celtics are loaded with talent. And I interviewed Danny Ainge earlier in the year, and he said maybe part of the problem last year was there was almost too much. He said, I gave Brad too much, and then it became almost impossible to figure out how to get all those guys in and get them the minutes they need and work out the system. So sometimes you do get addition by subtraction. And I don't even mean specifically Kyrie. I just mean clearing the board a little bit and letting other guys do their work. Yeah, I've I've been saying all season that uh, Kemba has has been exactly what guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown need with mm-hmm. with um, his desire to kind of like step back and be like, you know what, I don't have to carry the load like, and I don't want to carry the load that I carried in Charlotte. I'm happy mm-hmm. to let these other guys step up. It's it's been kind of like the the right fit. For, well, it's a good, um, it's, it's a great example, A, of fit, right? And you use the exact right word. I always say that, you know, look, the top 5, 10% of the guys in the NBA could play anywhere, right? They could play in Timbuktu and they would be stars. And the bottom 5, 10% of the league could play anywhere. Um, they could play for the best team in the league and they just wouldn't be able to cut it. For the middle, let's say 80%, 85% of the league, fit is so important. If Draymond yes. Green was on a different team, you know, would he be someone who we thought of like Draymond Green? But then on the other hand, if a guy like Steph Curry didn't have a Draymond Green on his team, would we think of Steph Curry the same way? So, so many different things are about fit, and I think Kemba is such a good fit for there. He likes sort of the pressure of playing in Boston. He likes the expectations. And also, he came from a team where for years he was, as you note, the guy. And guess what? 
in the end, it wasn't what he wanted. He wanted to win. And so he is able to walk into that locker room and be like, yeah, I'm giving up touches that I had before. I'm willing to pass the ball. I'm willing to watch Jason Tatum blossom because he's had the experience. He already had his moments of I've, I've scored X many. My name's the one been on the front of the program, all of that. And I'm ready for this now. Whereas Kyrie, when he came in, remember where he came from. He came from playing with LeBron, where he was, Kyrie was never the one he was right. He was one a or number two on those teams in any scenario and definitely came into that team being like, Hey, I want my own thing. I'm ready to be the guy. And that's obviously a much different mindset and maybe not going to gel with some other younger players who thought they were ready to have a real key role. So you have to think about where both of these guys came from and the situation Kemba came from is just, he's a different stage and ready in his life to help foster other guys doing well. Also. Yep. Kyrie already had a championship. And yeah. he come in with the knowledge, like, I know better than you on how to win a championship, which is actually true because he's the yeah. one that won it. But at the same time, the mesh, the fit. And I'm so glad yeah. that you put it the way you put it. It's so much the league. I say on this podcast so many times, situation matters. And Absolutely. I don't know how many fans really, truly, like you and, and I and, and people who are, are in and around the league, you see it enough, you get it. But I'm glad to have another person come on here and say situation matters. And the ma- it really, I think, that's such a big reason why the Celtics are on the path that they're on. Yep. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm not going to keep you for any longer. I've kept you for quite a long time anyway. Well, it's very fun. We've now done this now, quote, every year and a half. Yes. So, <laughs> may, you know, I will be an old friend who will come on more. <laughs> and we'll, we'll just see. Look, I, you know, I expect we ESPN is carrying the Eastern Conference Finals this year. So let's see. If we see you guys in the Eastern Conference Finals, let me figure out how to do this again. Okay. Deal. There we go. Boom. All right. Everybody check it out on Saturday. The jump is live at the Garden. I will be there. I will see you then, Rachel. Thank you again very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much, John. Awesome conversation with Rachel. Again, the jump on ABC Saturday here in Boston. Courtside at the TD Garden leading into the Celtics-Rockets game. T-Mac, Paul Pierce, We'll both be there, so it's going to be a great show. Make sure you're tuning into that ahead of Celtics Rockets on ABC. I will be there, and we'll talk about that on the Monday Locked On Celtics podcast. So go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Give that five-star rating. Give that good written review and share the podcast. Tell everybody to listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.